Generation Radio with Kendall Moore, WVON AM 1690. Let's talk about it. Come on. New Generation. Kendall Moore Talk Radio, WVON AM 1690. Streaming live from the web, WVON.com. Let's talk about it. What up, what up? Welcome to the Kendall Moore Show on WVON 1690 AM, the talk of Chicago, the voice of the nation. That's right, folks. Once again, it is I, Westside Will, kicking the show off at the ham. So sit back, relax, put your mind at ease. Westside Will's on top to take you to your next stop during this first hour of the Kendall Moore Show. Thank you, everyone out there who is watching us on Facebook Live, the WVON Facebook Live. Also, those who watch us on the Kendall Moore page of Facebook Live, those who are listening to us on iHeartRadio and the traditional station, WVON 1690 AM. Power, power in it, baby. AM Radio. So, with that being said, I want to do the traditional round of greetings. You know I, I like to do this. I like to say this, and it always starts off with my one, my only favorite News and traffic queen, Miss Robin Lewis. Aww. Greetings, your highness. Well, hello, hey, darling. How are you? Hello, love. How are you? I'm well. I can barely hear you. I don't know. I think I'm having um, mic problems, but I know you said something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here. Hi, guys. How are you? All right. Hi. So Netta's going to have to be my interpreter. I was trying to, but I can't hear you. Oh, okay. Oh, no. I don't know, folks. Don't worry. We're going to get it together here. Okay. Wait a minute. I hear something. Do you hear something. me now? There, I hear Art you now. How are you, my know. queen? <laughs> I'm fine. How are you guys? All right. Such an honor, privilege, and a pleasure oh, to once ditto. again uh, be able to talk to you face-to-face. I listen to you all day. Oh, okay. I listen to the station all day. I hear you, Robin. Blessings you hear, and you be putting love in to be with work. you. I do. And I appreciate it. Thank you for noticing. We all appreciate it. I'm pretty sure the <laughs> WVON family out there appreciates it as well. Who who else would know what's going on in Chicago? I'm trying you? to say. You you get the news first. <laughs> Will, what you want? Robin, what does he want right? from so Robin, look here. Who is in you today? I need a couple of He wants a car. Hundred. You oh, know, <laughs> dead president, huh? Yeah, mm. you know, can you help a brother out? <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right. We got Netta Beretta in the building. Hello, yes. Netta. How Hello. are you? Amazing. How are you? Excellent. Excellent. I'm Thank excited. you. I am excited. You're really well. excited because you're yelling at us today. Hey, you know what? Here's he the thing. Got all I the passion. always am hyped when I'm talking to the WVON family on a Friday night. Well, hopefully they be hyped right back and call I, in. I, I hope Tune so. in on Facebook. I hope so. What's up, everybody? If you're watching us on Facebook, we appreciate you. Isaiah the I is with us. Hello, Isaiah. How are you? I'm doing good today. How are you, Will? I'm great. Good to see you. Isaiah sees all. He is our uh, visual producer. So if you're looking at Netta's beautiful face, 
and, and then, then that's what's going he on. Shows He's everybody. What are you talking about? Some Netta's beautiful fair. Okay. Everybody, everybody. <laughs> all right, all right. And we also have on the wheels of steel the dynamic DJ Delvin. Hello, Delvin. The How are you, sir? Genius. The audio genius. The audio. Genius. The one and only. He's the audio genius. Hey, what's going on, y'all? Great, great. Thank you, sir. Uh, always a pleasure to have you on board with us, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> really? Okay. Boshalaba. What? <laughs> there we go. And, ladies and gentlemen, we have a special, special uh, guest in the building. Uh, once again, please welcome back attorney Sierra Norris. She will be co-hosting with us tonight. Hey, hey hello, y'all. attorney Norris. How welcome you doing? Back. How you doing? I'm doing great. I'm doing fabulous. And for those of you watching us on Facebook Live, you get to see Sierra's beautiful face as well. All right. All right. So we appreciate you. We, uh, we, we really are excited. Because as of Wednesday, we got a new president, ladies and gentlemen. Thank God. What do you think about that? It's a sigh of relief. Okay. Do you feel like you just came out of a dark cave? You know I feel like we're coming out of a dark cave. I'm not so sure we're out of it yet. Okay. Okay. Yeah, mm. it, it's going to take a minute because you know what? Uh, the last president, I'll call him Donnie T. I won't give him his last name. But he's like a, he kind of left us a gift that just still is given. You know, <laughs> a gift, a what gift, was a gift, the gift that is continuing to give is COVID-19 oh my because uh, President Biden, now President Biden said that we are kind of in for the long haul with this as uh, was reported yeah, in the news earlier. And I kind of suspected that as well. And it's playing out all over the country, especially here in Chicago, as it relates to CPU. Mm. And that's something we are we want to talk about right now, actually, you know, for those who are not sh- uh up to up to speed with what's going on with CPU, they are taking a vote today, a digital vote today and tomorrow, to decide if they're going to go on strike come Ooh. this Monday. Ooh. So, this will be the second strike uh, by C by C, uh, the Chicago Teachers Union. Right. Yes, by the Chicago's Teachers Union. Uh, not this school year, but in the last year. You know. Um, they, of course, they went to, went on strike last year, and that was over resources and everything. But now this year, of course, COVID has blanketed us, mm-hmm. and uh, there are issues with that. People are concerned about – the teachers are concerned about catching COVID. You know, they're, they're concerned about the children. When they come there, they don't have the proper ventilation in the schools, you know. And, you know, what can we do? What, what, what can possibly be done about that? I, I think – so this is a hard part because – in the beginning of this whole COVID-19 pandemic, like, uh, the judiciary kind of had the same view. Like, we're putting ourselves at risk, right? Mm-hmm. But we started lev- we started prioritizing individual health of judges, clerks, sheriffs, attorneys over the due process rights of uh, people, right? Mm-hmm. And so I have to say that as an introduction for how I view about this. And at some point we have to decide what is essential to us as a society. Okay. Okay. And so So with that being said, I want you to keep that thought. We're going to go to a quick commercial. We'll be right back folks. Getting you from your work week to your weekend. It's Kendall Moore radio for the next generation. I don't want nobody else.
Welcome back to the Kendall Moore Show on WBON 1690 AM, the Talk of Chicago, the voice of the nation. I'm um, Westside Will. Uh, we're kicking off the show. Um, Sierra Norris is our guest host tonight. Hey. Attorney Sierra Norris. How are you, attorney? I'm doing good. Okay. I can't complain. Excellent. So I want you to finish your thought before we went to break. Okay. So I definitely, so I was talking about how you balance the individual health concerns of people who are in essential positions. Doctors we know are essential, but then it starts to get a little hazy is the things that we require people to do, such as going to school and getting this public education, which is a requirement. When are we going to start saying, hey, look, we're essential and this is a duty that we have to move forward with even though we know that we're putting ourselves at risk. It doesn't make sense to me that a McDonald's worker is essential and a CPS teacher is not. And not because I don't care about those individual teachers or the individual students. Mm -hmm. It's because I'm worried about the gap or the long-term consequences of what's going to happen to a generation of young people who are not being educated the way that they should. Now, let's talk about this. C- CPS, Chicago Public Schools, already had issues with how th- that they felt like the, the city wasn't supporting them and putting their best foot forward mm-hmm. to support these children through um, you know, through 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 medical support, yeah. through through mental health support, through extracurricular activities, teaching them things other than math, arithmetic, and yeah. But history. but here's the thing: is that necessarily their responsibility? You know, the, one of the questions that I pose is: Do you think that the teachers' union has become too powerful in the sense that they can? Well, I'm, I, manipulate is not the word to use, but it seems like manipulation. Now, I support the teachers. I support the teachers. I support because without teachers, we wouldn't have doctors. We wouldn't have attorneys. Right, right. You know, but at the same right. time, you kind of got to ask that question. Is this a political, is it really a political thing? What part or is feels it like manipulation thing? to you? Um, I think that any that this is something that they can use. Well, I'm not against the teachers union. You know, this is what I'm saying. But I think people feel that this is something that they can use to not they're not really concerned so much about the COVID as they're concerned about the mayor, you know, mm-hmm. and of course they've already had this conflict with the mayor before, you know, they went on strike last year. What, what part of the school year we had now, you know, they're about to take a vote, which will be decided tomorrow, uh, tomorrow evening or whether they're going to go to school Monday, you know, and, and here's the thing with that. They're going to turn off. Even if you're a virtual learner, if you're a young if you're a young person that's at home doing virtual work, they're going to turn it off as well. And 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 and, and, and I understand. And you're doing Teachers well as a virtual because I know some virtual students personally. They're really doing. I mean, my son's grown, but I'm saying I know some CPS. My students son's twelve. Doing He's virtual doing virtual. Work. My niece is six. She's in first grade. She's right. doing virtual. I am not just opining on this, but I have nieces and nephews and I have a child who's actually doing this. And it's like my question is Mm -hmm. when we know that, you know, zero through five is when the brain forms the most. We know that childhood is where people your person is created. And my question is, I understand not going to physical school 
because of COVID. But I don't know how to reconcile the fact that an entire generation is going to be losing out on uh, education. And, and and this is another part. United They put out statistics the other week that there was over 140,000 jobs, uh, United States of employees. All of those jobs that were lost mm-hmm. were born by women. Yeah. Mm. Out of those women, all of those women were black and brown. 140,000. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ma- women are being set back in a way where we're making we have to make a decision between livelihood and our children, but where is the support for the moms that right. are that can't work? Where we, we we have arguments about you know paying rent, utilities, things like this, but moms and women are bearing the burden of this pandemic. So yeah, and I agree. So that poses another question. I'm I'm sorry, Nelly, you had. I was going to say, where's the support for moms that do work? Yeah, it's, it's a, such a paradox that we have right Where's now. Where's the because support for moms that have lost their jobs yeah. so that they can? T- yeah, you know, virtual isn't just putting your kid in front of a TV. You right. also you have to, have be, at home to with the child. be proactive right, in right. making sure that that child is doing their homework. It, it when when you make something like school a obligation, mm-hmm. when you add something on top of it like truancy where it now is there's legal and criminal consequences to not doing it. And then you make it virtual. So now these parents are not trying, not only trying to figure out how to survive during a pandemic, mm-hmm. but now they're being forced to be things that they never signed up to be. I heard that. Cause I, let me tell you my, my daughter, my baby girl mm-hmm. has gotten me in so much quote unquote trouble with her school because she is not online when school starts. Yeah. So now she's tardy or she's absent. But I'm already at work. Right. So what am I supposed to do? And, and, and then how do we support children like that who need some extra help? So it's been almost a year right. of this pandemic. I just would hope that they have put enough thought into how we're going to bring these kids back to school. So that it would be effective and that it work for everybody. Well, they're saying they're going to start vaccinating the teachers in February. So, is it a possibility but that they can problems with the vaccination? I, I, I mean, half I the agree, country doesn't even you don't have access to it. In it. And, and, it's and, vaccination. That, and also, it's more than just vaccinating the teachers. The children pass it to each other and take it back home. And it's there's so isn't m- there a strand in LA that they're talking about might even be immune to the current vaccine that we have resistant. now? Absolutely, because yeah. it's, it, they, from what I read, from what I understand, I'm not a, a health professional, but they're saying it's breaking off pieces of the virus that gets transported and then it mutates. It transports into the body, but but since the virus is not complete in the body, it starts forming its own type of uh to yeah. replace what it broke off and then it mutates. So that's what I'm understanding. But here's the thing with that. Uh, mm-hmm. Starting tomorrow here in Chicago in Cook County, um, the governor's restrictions on restaurants are being lifted. And with that being done, Remember, restaurants have they hire waiters and any type of customer service type of activity where you meet people, you know, you greet people. And so what happens if they have style, but if making a Big Mac is essential, then teaching our youth is essential. And I I agree with that. But this is what I'm saying, though. They have children. uh, If they have to go back to work all this time. You know, I think both of us are, both of them are in a, a rock between a rock and a hard place because parents are trying to go back to work. 
there's very few jobs right now that are able to operate. They've been at home barely feeding their kids. They're barely feeding them. And the thing is, when you send kids to school, some of them, that's their only meal of the day. Right. I, I've taught, I've taught have, CPS. Have, uh, has uh, food stamps been extended? Has cash ex- has ex- has cash yeah. assistance been extended? Has nope. rent been extended? They gave us $600. Like, first of all, check this out. What <laughs> in the world Nothing. am I supposed to? I don't get the $600 because I have my own business. But at the end of the day, it's a slap in the face. And then I understand that I, I get it. But my thing is, is if you don't believe in due process in the Constitution and moving the 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 the, the, the the due process rights forward, then okay. maybe you shouldn't be a judge. And if you don't believe that there is a duty to teach our adolescents despite the risk okay. of uh, an exposure to COVID, then maybe that's not the job for you. Okay. So with that being said, we're going to take a break. Dusabo, Tyrone, Sheila, we're going to try to get to you guys after the break. This is the Kendall Moore Show, everybody. Kendall Moore on the Talk of Chicago, 1690 WVON. Talk to Chicago, the voice of the nation. We were talking about the teachers' strike um, when we went on break, and uh, we have a few callers, so I want to take a call. Uh, Brother Eddie. Hey, Brother Eddie, how are you doing? Hey, how you doing? We're doing well, sir. Thank you very much. Oh, man, happy New Year to everybody at the table there tonight. You as well. You as well. So what's your thoughts? Uh, Did I hear someone say uh, on your side that um, if you can't, Work under a pandemic as a teacher, then maybe you should choose a new. Think about another career path. Uh oh. Uh oh. I, I said that because of my position as a lawyer in the context of another another social service that it's provided, which is court. And I spoke about it in the context of there was a lot of individual 
um, concerns that were leveraged against pushing forward due process and making sure that we were still running the social obligations that we had. And it's not that I don't feel for teachers. It's that I'm concerned with the effects that it's going to have on children moving forward and the obligation that we have towards this generation to set them up. And so if you aren't down with that obligation, maybe that's a conversation that has to be had within self on how 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 important teaching and setting up this generation is compared to protecting yourself as an individual. So it didn't mean to come off, you know, insensitive. It's just as a teacher, as a lawyer, as a doctor, don't we have an obligation towards our community and towards our generation that has to ask us and reflect on ourselves what essential means to us and whether we are um, up to the challenge of what of what our obligations and our duties are to our community during a pandemic. So yes, that was something that I said. Okay, so I I will say like you gave it. I think a doctor, uh, by by definition, accepts the risk because he deals with patients that have contagious disease or what have you. So I think that that comes with that. The same way getting shot, the possibility of getting shot comes with being a police officer. But when you're talking about a teacher and uh, who went to school to educate children but is now in a situation where performing a duty may result in their death or their family's death because of a, a pandemic, I would say that the onus is on the government to ensure that the teacher is able to uh, educate the children in a safe environment. But, so but, are you a former uh, teacher? Eddie? I am not. Believe okay. it or not, I'm not. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, a successful businessman, but I just appreciate uh, the path and plights of others and try not to be insensitive to their circumstances. Because let me say this. I don't know if you guys ever read The Jungle, the, the, the book The Jungle. Uh, basically, what that book was about was like Chicago back in the day was a huge stock stockyard industry where we, you know, cut cows and all that. And all. But anyway... People were going to work and literally coming home with, with, with one arm because they were getting uh, their limbs chopped off in the in the process of making the meat and stuff. Yeah. And so that's how unions were actually formed because they're like these conditions are not fair to the worker. So it's like the work and and, and so workers. Yeah, but, not but have Eddie, to let me lives. let me say this. This uh, this is a pandemic though. This is different. This is something right. no one has seen in a hundred years here uh-huh. in America. You know, no one has seen this in a hundred years and. And the thing is, it's different. It's unique from any other type of disaster that we have. This is a virus. It does not discriminate. But but, but with with that being said, though, we still got to go on, though. Right. right? As a criminal defense attorney, let's my clients and the people that I'm protecting are somebody is a subset of people that doesn't get a lot of sympathy. And we're talking about children. Whereas as an attorney, as a criminal defense attorney that works within the context of the criminal justice system in Cook County, the same question that I'm posing to teachers is the same question that I've had to pose to myself. Okay. How, how committed are you towards the obligation of pushing due process even for a subset of people that, you know, the community might not think is deserving of putting myself at risk for them. Okay. Then so to move it on to teachers, you know, I think that our children deserve. They do. Um, I will say I, I agree with Sierra and I also agree with the caller. 
I think that when it comes to CPS, we're having the wrong conversation. They shouldn't be striking about whether or not they should go back to school. The conversation should have been had and should have been in rotation for the last year. How do we adjust the curriculum to make it safe to go back to school? Not going back is not an option. How do we go back safely Mm. so that we feel safe to go back and that the children are safe when they do come back? So right now we're wasting so much energy talking about whether or not they should go back when so many amazing and intelligent minds could have and should have been putting their heads together all of this time to figure out what is the best practice to go back. And if that was the case, I just really believe that the kids would have been in school a long time ago because they would have found a way to do it that did not put everybody at risk to the point where they do not want to go back at all. Right. Okay, well, let's take one more call from uh, DuSabo. Hi, DuSabo, you're on the air, WVON. Thank you. Thank you so very much. Thank you for holding. What a phenomenal conversation, particularly uh, in the black community that we are having and engaging upon. Truly outstanding guest. Uh, uh, The attorney is really uh, spot on. There is a bit of um, concern about what's going on with CTU. But I guess the bigger question would be uh, um, life, liberty, and and property um, uh, as due processes. Uh, And I'm sure uh, uh, the word education, at least as far as the last time I read the Constitution, uh, was not uh, uh, any uh, constitutional right in the United States of America. Right. It's a sovereign right um, um, uh, affected or effectuated uh, by state constitutions. Uh, the funding, however, of course, does come from uh, the federal government. However, schools can opt out if they so choose. Uh, the next um, um, bit concern that I have with the argument is, in fact, um, when we see uh, education in uh, the Chicago public schools in particular, uh, but throughout the county as well and maybe out throughout the nation, uh, we're faced with what really is education when we see so many black and brown youth uh, relegated uh, to the achievement gap. And then we have to ask this major question, finally, uh, who are the educators uh, in the CTU? And from the last time I've been able to um, 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 sort of do some research in that area, uh, 80% of those uh, teachers in the classrooms in these black communities are white educators, and they're advocating for their own safety, mm. not necessarily for that of our children, the mm. basic needs of our children. Obviously, we would love uh, uh, for our children to... So- uh, be able to so go you're to the saying the politics of race is even playing its part in the CP, CTU? Um, oh, oh absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Looming. I mean, it's, it's and that's always, something nobody people talks who about. have more access to finances and are on a higher social economic level will have the ability to get their children together, hire private tutors. Mm-hmm get some extra support. They don't have to stop working. They don't have to leverage livelihood against education. They can, for example, my son is privileged in a sense. There's a reason why I became an attorney um, was because I wanted to get him out of poverty. He and two of his friends 
do virtual school together. He has a tutor that I help pay for. They that come comes. over? He comes over? Yes. And he is getting supported in the way that he needs to because virtual is not enough. But we are dealing with communities, especially here in Chicago, that were, one, under-supported to begin with, mm-hmm. dealing with families who are suffocated by the issues of the hood and the socioeconomic issues that come with it and the lack of support and the systematic oppression that comes with that. And now they're being the burden of educating their children is being placed solely on their shoulders. So this is absolutely a social economic issue. And to his point is a lot of the people that are raising a fuss are people that don't understand what it's like to live within those issues. So can they empathize with the single mom in Inglewood who has three children? Okay. So we're going to go on break. And when we come back, we're going to finish off this conversation before we go into the seven o'clock hour. Thank you. Kendall Moore Show. He's the new kid on the block. He's got the weekends on lock. Kendall Moore, radio for the next generation. On the talk of Chicago, 1690 WVON. Mr. President, Dr. Biden, Madam Vice President, Mr. Emhoff, Americans and the world. When day comes, we ask ourselves, where can we find light in this never-ending shade. The lost we carry, a sea we must wade. We've braved the belly of the beast. We've learned that quiet isn't always peace, and the norms and notions of what just is isn't always just is. And yet the dawn is ours before we knew it. Somehow we do it. Somehow we've weathered and witnessed A nation that isn't broken, but simply unfinished. We, the successors of a country and a time where a skinny black girl descended from slaves and raised by a single mother can dream of becoming president only to find herself reciting for one. And yes, we are far from Paulus. Welcome back to the Kendall Moore Show. It's Netta Beretta here with Westside Will and Sierra Norris. Hey. We're going to get into that conversation in just a second about the vice president, the president. Mm, We got a new one. We got a new one, finally. But we're finishing up the CPS conversation. The CPS conversation. Of course, and let's take a caller. Well, before, I just want to remark on one thing that the last caller said. He said... That our rights are life, liberty, and due process. And I think that it's really important to understand that a lot of times education is the soil to that tree. So you can't just say, well, that's not what you're entitled to constitutionally. It all plays a role. So we have to be very sensitive to how everything intertwines. Yep, I definitely agree. Let's take a call from Tyrone. Hi, Tyrone. How are you? All right. How are you, sir? Um, great, great. Just wanted to add a little bit to the conversation. I love what's we need this exchange. Uh, I have to disagree with a couple of things that were stated in terms of I think it's very insensitive to suggest that someone should question their career if they value life. And, and somehow or another, that means them valuing life. They devalue the education of children. Uh, I have a family full of educators. I'm in construction, but I've watched them work tirelessly on these. Uh, what are they called? Chromebooks. 
And I see the dedication. I've also seen before the pandemic hit, I've seen them uh, spend money on kids' boots and coats and, and out of their own pockets because they value education. So when someone asks that a situation be safe before they go into it, then like the young lady said on here, it needs to be safe. So, yeah, we need to have a strategy and a plan for going back to school. But it needs to be safe. Now, I have three sons. I have to, uh, I'm in construction, so I have to alter my schedule so that I can work with my children. Let me say this. Everybody, you're going to have to get invested in your child's education. There is no drop your kid off. I don't care how good the school is supposed to be. Drop your kid off, pick them up, and then all of a sudden they're supposed to make it. No. If it, whoever you are and on a level, whatever level you're on, you're going to have to get in, get involved in your child's education. And what COVID did was it exposed a lot of that because I, as I'm helping my children, I hear, I see my family members working with other people's children and the, the pull and tug of basic things. So we all need to take a, a, a good look at what's going to be the safest structure, but let's do not be insensitive to people making a choice whether, so if those lives are lost, then who covers that family? So and should they, school? so you're saying the teachers should not go on strike? No, I'm saying the teachers have a right to make the choice. They have because a right to make the choice. I, as though I value education, I value education because all my family are educators. I happen to be in construction myself, but I value education. Okay. I'm not saying to those, I wouldn't dare say to somebody else, you don't you don't deserve to advocate for a safe environment. That's what they're advocating for. Not that they don't want to go back and be educators, but that they want the environment to be safe. That's all. Okay. Well thank you very much, Tyrone. Appreciate that. We talk a lot about the teachers. But what choice it's, did the children have? Well the children also, but what where is the conversation, at least publicly, because you know how the media skews things mm-hmm. and want they choose what they want you to focus on. So we always talk about the teachers. They don't want to go back, they shouldn't go back. Yeah. Are we talking about the administration? At the end of the day, if all the teachers decide to quit and have a career change, it is still the administration's responsibility to educate these kids. I, I agree. So what is being done to make sure that the teachers have a safe environment to go back to? Well, they said that they have uh, sanitized the schools. Oh, my goodness. The best. That's what they said they, they have done. They threw some lights all in the air and called it but, a day. But, but here's the thing with that, you know, and I, I know from sitting in certain meetings that they want special ventilators and stuff installed in all of these buildings where, where, where children learn at schools. Why not? And some of them are so old uh, and and. Money is going out of it. I'm not, I'm not saying they shouldn't do it. I'm not saying it's not worth it. But I, I think money is just being thrown, be thrown out, not thrown out of the window, but it's just being needed in a lot of other places. You know, me personally, when it comes to that, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't want the teachers to have to go into school wearing a hazmat, worried. But at the same time, I think some of us, we have to we have to be brave and, and realize, regardless, life goes on, and uh, we're all at risk at some point. Yeah. We're at risk. I'm at risk when I leave out of here. Yeah. I'm at risk when I go into the store, you know, uh, unless I and wear my mask. And maybe this or, pandemic catapults I, things I, like the yeah. justice system and in the education system into the place where it needs to be because it's right. not just about the health of the students and the health of the teachers. It's about the fact that it is revealing the shortcomings within systems and we're going and people are going to lose the reality of this situation is people are going to lose see what i've learned is every when everybody wants to be a leader i i want to be the elected leader i want to do this 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 is one of the hard calls this is what it comes down my personal opinion maybe you should wait and let the teachers get inoculated in february you know inoculate them first 
and send them in there. I understand you cannot, you don't know, you don't go home with the child. You don't know what's going, what's happening at the house. You don't know the sanitary conditions. Mm-hmm. That's, That's why what they're, they're so concerned. About. Exactly. But, the, but the we also don't know what the, the effects time. are going to be 10, 15, 20 years down the Nobody line. Nobody knows that. The thing is, what do That's you do? True. What, There's what no, do you do? You have to really just negotiate. There's be no logical right with it. There's and and January is almost over. So, you know, the way I see it is, is uh, you know, we don't have that long before February be here. We're going to take a break. We're going into the 7 o'clock hour, ladies and gentlemen, and we're going to switch up the conversation a little bit. Joe Biden and, Ka- and Kamala Harris inauguration. Uh, what do you think will be the impact of that? We'll be right back. This is the Kendall Moore Show. You're listening to Kendall Moore, radio for the next generation, on the Talk of Chicago, 1690 AM, WVON. The Audio Genius. looking for an affordable and friendly place for your health needs, visit the Beloved Community Family Wellness Center. The Beloved Community Family Wellness Center offers health care services for infants and adolescents, women's health, and senior citizens regardless of your financial status. Medical insurance is accepted, and the center also offers discounts and payment plans. You can visit one of their two locations, either in Inglewood at 68th and Halstead or in Robbins at 139th and Kedzie. For more information, visit their website at bcfwc.org, bcfwc.org. Welcome back to the Kendall Moore Show. Yep, welcome back to the Kendall Moore Show. Uh, I am sitting here with Nether Beretta. You got to roll. See, Kendall rolls I don't know how to roll eyes. I was never good. I learned a little Spanish, but I could never roll my R's. So forgive me. And we are also sitting here with guest host, uh, Super Attorney Miss Sierra Norris. Super Attorney. I like that. I like that too. I like that too. I'm doing good. Now, you were recently uh, uh, made the. Yeah, you were honored. 40 under 40, top 40 under 40. So, yeah, I was top 40 under 40. 2020 game changer. All right, all right. I got a little, you know, I was, I felt like I was a little highlighted during the, I don't know. I'm looking at people who are Emmy n
you know, when you're propelled in a certain way, you know, sometimes personally there's some bookkeeping you have to do. And okay. so I'm don't tell so, on yourself now. No, no, no. I'm so blessed. <laughs> we don't need the IRS calling up. No. My grandma is my accountant. It can't ever be the IRS. My grandma's my accountant. Talk about bookkeeping. But, Look here. No, I mean like an assessment that you have to take within self. And so it's it's been so humbling and kind of eye opening to where it's like, wow, like there's people that I think are believing in me in ways that I, I almost have to catch up with. It's like, wow, there's I'm really doing this. I'm I'm really out here and being recognized for what I'm doing before, you know, 30. And uh, it's humbling, but it also is exactly what I need because sometimes this job can be very discouraging. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very high risk. It's very high pressure. I deal in everything from marijuana to murder. And I, you know, am fighting in a, in, a, in, a, in a system. Now you add the pandemic on top of it. Cases aren't moving forward. Clients are being stuck in limbo. Mm. And it's causing a lot of anxiety and stress coming from not only my clients, but the family and the community. And it's a lot. It's a lot to put on my shoulders as a young woman to that not only do I have to be there for myself, but I have 220 clients. Oh, wow. And you know, and I have a I have a large team, and I've been blessed with you know growth, but people are entrusting me mm. with their lives and with their struggles, and you know it, it's I didn't think that I would be here this quickly, and I can only be here because <laughs> God has allowed me to be, and I tell Him every single day, "You got me out here. You better help me." You all know, right, like all so. Right. All right, all right. Well, there you heard the testimony <laughs> of Attorney Sierra Norris. Praise the Lord. <laughs> all right. So we appreciate that. So speaking of the hard work that is being done, transitioning the conversation, uh, we got a new president and vice president this Wednesday uh, at about 12.01. Joe Biden became the president and Kamala Harris became the vice president. And, you know, one of the questions that we want to ask you is what do you think her uh, will be her impact as a vice president? Vice presidents generally represent the president, the number one person uh, when when that person can't be available. But they also get the opportunity to create their own agenda. So if they're looking to run for president one day, you know, they will have some they'll have something on their record that is impressive and they, that they can run on. So, you know, what what do you think about that? Well, Nella? I want to first ask you why you're asking that question, because I don't remember anybody asking that of Pence. Well, of course not. So why why are you specifically asking that? Is it be, be, because be, she is a black woman? Yeah. And why are you doing that? Because she's, she's a, a woman? she's a woman of color. She I don't, is a woman I, I don't of like color. that term. I, I you know. just juxtapose the one okay. that we don't like to say. So it's I was, the same thing. you know what, I, this goes to a lesson that I was taught many years ago about Barack Obama by someone who knew him personally. And I'm not going to say the names because I don't want nothing to be breaking out. Then people call me and say, Will, why do you say that? But this individual told me he is not necessarily a black man here in America, but he is a person of color. He has not had the experience as a, 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 a African descendant of slavery like many black men like myself like uh, Isaiah, you know, and it is a difference. It is a difference. And I think once he got in that White House, he saw that it was kind of different. Once he started running, period, 
for president of the United States. I'm, you know, and once he got in there, he really saw the the virtual, the virtual, the hate. Yeah. You know, and um, I think that's why Joe is kind of sympathetic now. Wait, let me just clear. You just said the person that you were talking about didn't see Barack Obama as a black man. They saw they 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 saw him as a man of color. They said I was told that he is a man of color, but he's not a black man as it relates here in America. Now he is a black man. Don't get me wrong, but she meant. Now says she. I'm giving it away, but I'm gonna be quiet. He has not had the same experiences has you and I per se, you know, because of where he grew up and things like that. But okay. he's still but my why, boy. Though. But why do we put him and now vice president Harris? Why are we even looking at them under that lens? I feel like it's unjust judgment of them mm-hmm. when we don't have those same requirements of people who are not black. So why are we requiring more mm-hmm. of them? Because it's not our, it's not our, it's not our duty to have them. the same requirements it's not our of non-black. To, but here's the okay, thing: if so you come in here, on, black, if you come in now, here on the black vote, more for black if you come black. in here on the black vote and say you black, and I'm gonna ride with you. You in the hood? You eating Harold's with us and Uncle Remus and all that? I'm just saying this sarcastically. You know what I'm saying? And then you go and 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 you don't represent. You don't even you don't even say black. You know, yeah, you know, I, I can understand why people I might feel that way. Don't think that the question was more like that they Camilla has more to do as a vice president. Some vice presidents you don't even remember. True. Okay. Mm-hmm. Most I, I if you can get if you can give me the last five vice president names, I'll give you hundred dollars <laughs> right now. Okay, you Mike Pence, oh, Kamala Harris, no, uh, uh, the, Joe the, Biden. The last five. Joe Joe Before Biden Camilla. Uh, uh, uh what what's Dick his name? Cheney. Dick Cheney. <laughs> uh Al Dan, Gore. Al Gore. Okay. Dan Quayle. So Okay, George but H. Bush. Bush yeah. What I'm, I guess, more the point that I'm making is that where's, where's I don't think that I got you. <laughs> I don't think that Camilla's uh, Kamala, Kamala Camilla. Camilla. I don't think that Vice President Harris. I'm gonna go with that. Um, I don't think that her impact is going to be so much of a short term impact as a long term one. As as someone, I, I'm a young mm-hmm. woman of color in a male dominated field and no one on my side as a criminal defense attorney looks like me. Mm-hmm. Do you know how many African American young women are in my DMs rooting me on telling Sierra, you inspired me. If you can do it, I can do it. I don't agree with everything that commit that the vice president Harris has <laughs> right. done up until this point. Mm-hmm, I, I think that we would be on the opposite end of a lot of, 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 of topics, but at the end of the day, somebody has to open up the door and it's not her fault right. that she's the one that opens up the door. It's the right. it's systematic racism and discri- discrimination right. intertwined and woven throughout this country. So is it fair that she has the obligation of bearing the burden of being the first woman of color in the position? No. But does it need to be done by somebody? Yes. Yeah. And now there are young women and young women of color who are looking at her that's saying, oh, it can be done. So instead of defeating myself before I try, maybe it's worth giving a try. I absolutely get that part. And I get representation. I get acknowledgement i get aspiration i get all of that but that's not the question that people are asking they're asking things like is she black enough 
what is she going to do for black people? Well, who's asking that? A lot of people are asking. People that. are asking. I that. think that I think that that's that. a I think that that's a, a conversation that I'm not sure if we have time for. That but is that's, rooted. Yes, that's we have the time for it. That's that's exactly right rooted. now. Okay, but the conversation we're talking about is what is the impact? But it's that we rooted in have. our it's rooted in our community as black people, and it was something that was systematically rooted in our community as black people to question one another. For example, when I first came to law school. Mm-hmm. We a lot of black students don't come don't come together. Sometimes you get the token black person yeah. in the way. We banded together. Shout out to mm-hmm. my law schools to Cal, Jessica, Nick, uh, Brittany. Instead, we banded together and said, "No, we are. We have just as much right to be here, and it's just as intelligent as anybody else in this room." So instead of not seeking each other out. We suck each other and we banded together and we saw strength within ourselves. White people are not asking whether Camilla is black enough. Black people are. And we're asking that because that was systematically put in our culture, colorism, going against each other. Was it put in our our culture by us? or No, it was put in our culture by... It goes all the way right, back right. to slavery. It goes back to the field, the field, and the plant, and, and exactly. The house. Mm-hmm. And so nobody is questioning Camila's blackness except the community in which can benefit from her being there the most. And that's but, but why see, we here's need to the have thing that with that. Here's the thing with that: a lot of people said thought that they could benefit with Barry being in the White House, President Barack Obama, and they said we, we didn't did benefit enough. And then when he, he comes changed. out, they say right. that he didn't do enough for black right. people. Right. And Trump was a better president for all black by people. Yourself. That's what, Somebody right. has to open up the door for other people to follow. Okay. He set the example that not only can a man of color lead, the, be in this position, but he's done it better mm-hmm. than the last Yes, he has. So this is the question that the black community has, though, because they feel like the pe- the, the last two presidents, uh, presidents of color, the last two were not actually African descendants of slavery. And that's the problem that they have, because they seem to feel that they uh, their intentions are not genuine as it relates to dealing with black people, as it I relates to the causes of black people. Yeah, that you cool. can't be afraid of. Okay. Would a would a mm-hmm. would a darker skinned young lady in my position be as successful and get away with what I get away with right now? Okay, Probably so hold not. that, hold that, hold that. We're going to talk about one that. Day, We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. This is the Kendall Moore Show. Don't you folks go away. He's the new kid on the block. He's got the weekends on lock. Kendall Moore, radio for the next generation. On the talk of Chicago, 1690 WVON.
Welcome back to the Kendall Moore Show, folks. WVON 1690 AM, the Talk to Chicago, the voice of the nation. Miss uh, our, our special guest host, Miss Sierra Norris, Attorney Sierra Norris, was talking about colorism as it relates to Kamala Harris and Barack Obama. And you want to finish that thought? Ms. Norris? Yes. Uh, basically, what I'm saying is I, I think it's unfair to ask the 44th president because of his race to fix in one in, in eight years what the last 43 have implemented into our society. Instead, we should be asking ourselves not whether Barack was black enough, but how can we leverage what he did to get the next person ready who does represent us fully. But this happens in stages. Okay. okay. So hold, yeah, go ahead. ahead. That's the problem that we've had every time a new candidate is chosen. We didn't do our research as a people to see who we wanted even to be in office. So now when we get presented with a candidate, we're like, oh, this is what we have to pick from. We're not just doing our research. We're not coming together as a community to prop up the person. And and my response to you is this. How can we really do that when we're having educational problems already and but half the population can't true. read and they're trying to, that, you know, that's schools true, are getting But you're closed. talking about kids and we're talking about grown No, but it starts from children who grow up to be adults who can't read. I think that it starts with education as well, but also like just the building of community so that yes. people can understand that the, there's differences within our people as black people. Like not one person can be the epitome of blackness. Like right. there's not one definition exactly. of blackness. You can't, con- they think in a box of like, oh, this person is black. Oh, they're from the hood. Oh, they're, food. Oh, they're stereotypes. I don't, and I, I agree with you on that because so I grew get, up in the hood yes, and so I have people who tell me that I'm not, I'm not black. That I'm goes, like, that goes back to English media. Well the way media ingrains itself into right. our society, which you see, especially but growing up in the past, right? in the past twenty years, you see all these kind of gangster movies kind of come up in the nineties. Right, and they think that that's what black. See, we've is. made so black so an anything image short of more that than it is, is not a, what blackness is to right. some people. Yes. So let's Sierra's, take a call, guys. To, Sierra, to Sierra's point, now is the time to have this conversation. But right. what about Who's the other side of Barack? You don't think Michelle paved the way for the fact that black. Women entrepreneurs maybe, are the largest growing entrepreneurs. But who are we putting in office the next four years? Since we have so many problems with the administration that's in there now. Who well, no, that? not well, anymore. Yeah, no. they do. They do. Well, yeah, they Absolutely. do. Absolutely. They do. There's yeah, a lot of people well, we, that we, said Let me say this. Evils, Let's take right? a call really quick, but I just want to say in response to you, I agree, that's and we should not hibernate. Policies. We have Cliff on the line. Hey, Cliff, how are you, sir? And thank you. I'll be, I'll get right to the point and be brief. Listen, in terms of the inauguration, what was the most inspirational to me, and I trained my mind into accepting and embracing that, is we first have to have self-love. That young sister, Amanda Gorman, yes. yeah. if I'm saying Gordon, that sister right there was the epitome and the inspiration, man. I just dropped the mic after that. Okay. That sister, man, was so eloquent at her age and what she spoke, the composure, it was just phenomenal. Followed by number two, the firefighter, the black woman that did the sign language with the deaf, she did an excellent job. And then lastly, I would say the uh, the preacher brought it home. So I'm sorry to say this, but I didn't give a damn man about the, the cowboy with Amazing Grace. I would prefer <laughs> that scene. I would prefer that scene, President Obama. But the point I'm making is that I have embraced, and because Obama and Michelle, I have embraced seeing our people in a position of power. Exactly. So they might not be perfect, but just to see that and for us to embrace that and accept that, that means that we are embracing and accepting ourselves. So even with Kamala Harris, you know, I supported the sister. Matter of fact, I even wore some pearls. But nevertheless, <laughs> right. what I'm making is that, <laughs> I have no idea. But the point I'm making, I'm saying is that I got accustomed to seeing Michelle and the Barack family. 
So I was a little disappointed seeing Kamala Harris and her white husband and her white the white children. But nevertheless, I got over that. So I'm willing to give the sister some support because she is a woman of color. Does All that make right. a little bit of sense? Yes. Hey, yep. Thank you. Thank you very much, Cliff. Appreciate your comment. Hey, I want to send a shout out to Mr. Mike Burries, who's watching us on Facebook Live, Mark Kennedy, and Joey Woodfork. What's up, guys? How are you doing? Thank you for watching us on Facebook Live. Uh, so, yeah, what do you I, think? I don't feel any way about her having a white husband. She is a mixed woman herself. So why, if we're trying to get past all of these different stigmas of being black, why do we have a problem with her being married to a white man? If I he, don't have a problem. If he's with an it. ally and he's down for the cause and he works for the community. Then let her be married. To but who but she's but see, to. you know, it's I, just I not think it's not fair for us to put all of these restrictions and requirements on LeBron, her yeah. just because she's a black woman, just because she's the first black woman. We I, we're I not think even anybody black right would question. have in that position. Like that's, Obama that's had those problem. same restrictions that's put exactly on him. But I'm I think what's going on is is we feel like she was not necessarily chosen by us to represent us. She was chosen by others to represent us. And that's where we have a problem, a disconnect in the black community. Some people who are really serious about that say, hey, they're choosing your leaders for you. So who are we choosing to represent us? So then who are we choosing to represent us? I I don't know, but that's what we need to do. But her impact and the fact that she is there is going to do more damage than the fact that she was picked. It is going to start changing right. the minds of people and how they view black women and what they view us to be capable of doing. Yes, okay, exactly. Michelle right. has the highest approval rate of any first lady, 63% when she left office. She is one of the most loved yeah. women in this country by white and black women women Mm -hmm. she sets an example that black women aren't just strong or savage or angry that they are classy that they are beautiful that they're professional and that they are well spoken you cannot change the opinions that have been ingrained in our culture overnight it has to be said this is chess not checkers and we're over here playing we're playing checkers not knowing that okay yes we might have made a move with Michelle and Barack but the game is not over and that move is going to lend to a another move that it's going to lend to another move but if we are so busy arguing within ourselves about what is black enough we won't have enough blackness because we're over here pulling each other down how can we maximize off of the exposure that the fact that a woman is color of right. color is on the front of vogue that is on is in right. the second highest office in this country how do we leverage that to inspire black women and women of color to do more it should be more about the inspiration in the in 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 no longer not no longer but she helps fight against that imposter imposter not only is she there but she represents that we all can be deserve to be and have a chance to be there and if we cannot establish that first We'll never get the representation that we need because if you talk to a person of color in the hood and if you understand what they are going through, not only is it financially suffocating, it is spiritually and mentally suffocating. We have to get past the hurdle of whether we believe we can before we do. And so Barack and Michelle and Vice President Harris help us get past the we 
we deserve so that we can do. And if you don't believe that you can, you can't actually do it. So uh, you, I, I feel like I'm inspired I feel like, to uh, you now. I feel like yeah. art now. Yeah. And what now? So, yes, we need to understand that we can do it. What now? Is, As, what we can, can we need to understand. 45. 45. We, we need to understand that we can 40. do it. Attorney Norris, president. Okay. So, <laughs> great. All right. All right. So, <laughs> we need to we need to understand and believe that we can do it. But that happens subconsciously anyway. Okay. Just like subconsciously we felt like we couldn't do it because we never had representation anywhere that we could put our eyes on. So now we have representation. We can see it. We understand that we can do it. We keep doing it. We're going to keep understanding that we can do it. So now what? What okay. do we do with it now that we have the torch? Now that I'm we have the right. say is that What's there are plan? people What's that the decided plan? to leave the plantation. There was still a 600-mile journey ahead. And just because you made the decision to leave didn't mean that you was going to end up So free. now we need to talk about the so, journey and not leave. Right. We have to all – now that we are past the point of leaving the plantation and realizing that we deserve better – there is still a journey to be had. Exactly. And that's exactly what we're talking about. Okay. So why do we keep coming back to these conversations of whether or not she's black enough? We need to really unpack that and get past it. Otherwise, she's, we're going to keep having that conversation. Right. She's there now. Let's work. So, yeah. so let's work. Yeah. So what does that work look like? What does that mean? Okay. What are we doing? Okay. Well, here's the thing. Uh, I, I, well, we'll, we'll talk about this later in the lit, lit roundtable hour. But we're going to take a break because we're at the 30. We're at 32 right now. We'll be right back. We'll transition this conversation uh, and we'll talk about the Marshall Motley Scholars Program, ladies and gentlemen. So. This is the Kendall Moore Show. Kendall Moore on the Talk of Chicago, 1690 WVON. And you say, Shot City. Shot City. Shot City. I'm coming home again. Do you think about me now and then? Yeah. Do you think about me now and then? Because I'm coming home again. Girl, when I was three years old, and what I love most, she had so much soul. She said, Excuse me, little homie, I know you don't know me, but my name is Wendy, and I like to. And from that point, I never blow her off. Come from out of town, I like to show her off. They like to act tough, she like to tone them off and make them straighten up their hat because she know they soft. And when I grew up, she showed me how to go. And at nighttime, my face lit up. So astounding, I told her, and my heart is where she always be. She never mess with entertainers because they always leave. Welcome back to the Kendall Moore Show, folks. We're going to take a call from Stephen. I know he's been waiting on the line. Stephen, thank you very much for your patience, sir. How are you? Hey, good evening. I'm doing well. How you feel, bro? All right. Good. Thank you very much. All right. And good evening to your special guest, Attorney um, Norris. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yes, my my beautiful daughter is also Sierra. So, uh, good evening, Attorney Sierra. You know, um, if I could touch on this inauguration and what it really means for us, what we can do. The sister asked before the break, "What is it we can do?" Well, the first thing that we can do is begin to form political action committees. If mm-hmm. we're going to play politics, we got to play it to win. Mm-hmm. And voting is just one aspect of playing politics mm-hmm. it's not the end all be all so now forming political action committees is what we need to do to oh, affect you mean a black lobby. political action committee yes oh, black that are all buying for black people okay these political action committees have to represent all of us as a people so there are some of our people who could care less 
that we we have the first black Indian vice president, woman vice president. Mm-hmm. There's some in our community uh, uh, community that are very ecstatic about it. Right. And then there are some in our community who are still cautiously optimistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. we understand that this is still a system that we're dealing with. So when we form political action committees, then we can go and affect legislation because it's all about the law and the enforcement of that and the equal enforcement of the law. And that's why we want change because one, these laws are not of by and for us as a people, right? Black people in particular and people of color in general, because this is a nation that was founded on the idea of white inferiority masquerading as supremacy. Yep. Hmm. Okay. So until we start to see it as such, so we understand, yes, whatever we didn't do with Obama, we learned lessons from the past so that we don't repeat them. I would encourage all of us to reach out to Vice President Kamala Harris personally. All you got to do is go to whitehouse.gov and you can find out how to send her a personal message. But I think that that's what's needed right now. Everybody who is concerned, everybody who's inspired, everybody who would like to see her work on behalf of the community that she comes from and she looks like because even if she is of indian descent when you look at her you looking at a black woman right right period okay well hey thank thank you for that Stephen. we appreciate it very much i just want to share this fact really quick now her folks she was born in 1966 her folks her her mother is indian she's from the southern part of india and her father is jamaican of course the dark people of colors, you know, and 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 the thing is, they were involved in the civil rights movement. And then they moved to uh, with San Francisco, okay, from what I understand. But but here's the thing that I realized, you know, a lot of times we worry about people who come from other countries, dark people, black people, and they don't necessarily move around other black people. They move around people who are non-black. And I would think back then, I think, you know, in her mind, she she is she really is what we what we would expect her to be. Because in the 60s, when they moved here, they weren't living in a white neighborhood. They were living in a a black neighborhood. Because trust me, think about how the the thought was, the zygastral thought was, especially in California at that time. So, of course, she grew up with black friends and everything. And she moved to Canada for a while. And then she said, man, I want to go to Howard. It's a black school. She could have easily went to a, a, a PWI, right. predominantly white institution. She chose not to. So mm-hmm. I think in her mind, I think she is the the black expectation we want her to have. Mm-hmm. And I think, like you said, she has to, but she has to move through param, parameters and protocol well, and stuff that like point, that. But, but mean, we have to help her too. We have to push her. My mom was probably one of the blackest women I've ever had the wonderfulness of being around but she came from certain inner cities within ohio canton and akron but she decided to raise us in a predominantly white neighborhood now my white friends wasn't allowed to come to our block because she made it black okay (laughs) but that's a different story for a different day but she did that because she wanted us to get what are we circling all the way back around to Right. The education that we wouldn't have gotten within an inner city. And so it was her decision as a parent to raise us uh, not uh, not away from black people because she wanted to, mm-hmm. but 
within a community that was given privilege and edu- and a better education, she gave us the only head start that she knew how. And that was to put us in a better community so that we could have that education. But what she instilled in us in that house okay. was blackness. Okay. And so I don't think it's necessarily fair to say, oh, well, they didn't live in a black neighborhood. Black neighborhoods are not set up for black success, unfortunately. Right. And some of us have to make it out so in the hopes that we reach a hand back. So although I had a very black experience, there's a lot of things that I you don't. You sure? You had a black experience. You sure? <laughs> I'm playing with you. <laughs> y'all, you sure? Y'all want to go there. All right. Y'all want to go there. My mom put was, mayonnaise on you. My mom you was bread. not my friend. <laughs> we wasn't allowed to have nobody in. She, right. she was not. Listen, oh, we, we ate Raymond like noodles. Mom. We ate Raymond noodles from the 15th on. Okay. we there. It was R&B on Saturdays. And we right. had our butts whooped. Okay. I had a very black experience, but I was given the privilege of being educated, not in a white name, but in a neighborhood that was given a a head start that is not given to black communities. Not because we choose it. You were getting your cultural education. Not because we choose it, but because it's systematic. And so it's hard. Sometimes, sometimes I hear from my friends you you know you have it the first time i learned about privilege was when i got other around uh, around other black people in in my small town if you were black you were black so it wasn't it, i had to learn about my colorism and my privilege around other black people and instead of being affronted by that and being like oh they're pushing me out instead i'm like all right well i'm gonna take this privilege as right. camouflage that god gave me okay. and i'm going to use it to fight against mass incarceration and I'm going to use it to fight against this system. And I hope that I can have other women. I I don't identify with white girls. I identify with black Mm -hmm. women, but I don't always look like them or have their same experience because I do walk in privilege, but I want them to stand on my shoulders. Uh, So your experience is kind of like the book, the invisible man. Uh, no, or it was a, actually it's a, it was a, not the Invisible Man, but it's another book where you can actually walk in two worlds. Absolutely, and you'll be. I'm serious. You put your head in the bun. Yes, let's be for real. Come yeah. on, and you can go that. up to Notre Dame and sit in with the crew at the pub. I have a and just sit there and hear yeah. them talk and about black absolutely. people. The historical term is you know just passing. A lot of people yeah. have historically you know passed yeah. to get through. Get through life because yeah. of you know so, using their so senator. Skin color well, as the I'm sorry, not senator anymore. Vice President Harris. Yes, she actually has detailed how she had an opposite experience. Her mother ingrained their Indian culture into them growing up, but she did want to make sure that their her daughters knew that they were black women right. as well. So I think it's really powerful that she did chose choose to go to an HBCU, mm-hmm. even though at home. They had Indian culture right. instilled in them. Right. right. Yeah. It, it hit different when you get in the hood. It well, I had to start being aware that the way that I talked and the way that I said things rubbed some black people the wrong way because they felt like because of the color of my skin, I wasn't black enough when all I knew was black. My father was mm-hmm. not in my life. He was adopted. He was white. I didn't. Right. Not only did I not have a I had an absent father, but I didn't even have. I didn't even I didn't know nothing about white people because right. they he was adopted and we didn't I didn't have white grandparents or anything like that. So I'm going around. But I feel as a light skinned women woman with that privilege, it is my obligation to hear my black sisters and understand 
that they have a different plight than me and try to use my right. privilege to advance my community. Yes, I can sit here and have a chip on my shoulder about the fact that I don't have a lot of friends because no not you no i don't i'm weird um because sometimes i don't feel like i fit in anywhere right. but i know that i fit in in pushing my community forward and just okay. if sometimes i feel like a black sheep and sometimes i feel like i don't i'm not understood but i do understand that there's people that are dealing with a lot worse things than that and some of my black sisters wouldn't even get the opportunity that i have i have an obligation to bust this door open for them. So we having a a similar conversation and it just shows you how deep this issue is, how deep it runs. Right. Yeah. You have said, Will, you're, you're brown skinned. You have said that people have told I'm you. I'm caramel. I'm caramel. I've never seen caramel <laughs> that color. And don't disrespect your melanin like that. Embrace right. it. But I'm a brother, you though. Have, you, you give me you some. Said, you said <laughs> earlier that people have told you that you're not black enough. Yeah. Sierra said people told her she's not black enough. Right. I've heard that all the time, too. I'm not black enough. We are di- three different complexions. Right. When are we black enough? Right. I agree. We're worried about the wrong things as a black culture sometimes. Yeah. I agree. Well, I think it has a lot, like I said, and it has what a makes lot to you do black with education. Enough. has a lot to do with being exposed. You know what I mean? Um, especially being exposed because you'd be surprised how many people don't even leave uh, their area mm-hmm. in the inner city to go downtown or anything like that. So, yeah, I I definitely understand that. Mm -hmm. So, you know what? You're bringing what you said. You're bringing something. uh, You're making me think about something in my family. My Aunt Jewel, God bless her, my Aunt Jewel Montgomery, uh, she is 90. She is 92 years old. And uh, I think I told Netta the story of my Aunt Jewel. She looks like you, Sierra. She is biracial. She looks like you. And she was actually one of the reasons we came my mother, she told me that they came up from the South in the 50s because somebody, my Uncle Foster, she was married, of course, to my Uncle Foster, and somebody mistaken him for being with a white woman. And she was black. She was like you. And he had to get in a fight. He got in a fight with the man. He beat him up. And that night, they had to sneak him upstairs, sneak him up here, up north to Chicago. And this was in the 50s. So... You just made me think about that. I'm sitting here, I'm looking at you, and I'm listening to what you're saying. And, and you know, uh, it, it's really bad how, how that uh, these situations occur. Right. You know. I mean, it's not fair, but my little sister is chocolate, and my family is. I, I, it's not fair that I feel ostracized from my community because white people have systematically infused colorism into our generation. But I do feel like it's my responsibility. It's my generation to help propel us forward. Even if I'm not always understood by the people that I identify with the most, it's a hard burden to bear sometimes, but I want to better my community. And if God gave me this camouflage to do so, then that's what I'm going to that's what I'm going to use it for. Okay. well, we are at the 48th mark. We're going to take a uh, commercial break, folks. We'll be right back and we're going to talk about the Marshall Motley Scholars Program. This is the Kendall Moore Show. Getting you from your work week to your weekend. It's Kendall Moore Radio for the next generation. Checking me out. Check me out. I think I know what you're winking about. Yeah. 
talking crazy and such. I can't walk straight, but girl, I can see you're all right with me. WVON family, if you are in Chicago and looking for an affordable and friendly place for your health care needs, visit the Beloved Community Family Wellness Center. The Beloved Community Family Wellness Center offers health services for infants, adolescents, women's health, and senior citizens, regardless of your financial status. Medical insurance is accepted, and the center also offers discounts and payment plans. You can visit one of their two locations, either in Inglewood at 68th and Halsted or in Robbins at 139th and Kedzie. Visit their website for more information at bcfwc.org, bcfwc.org. Welcome back to the Kendall Moore Show. We're having a great time here talking with attorney Sierra Norris. Yo, yo. Westside Will. What up, what up? <laughs> and... So we're talking about the Marshall Motley Scholars Program. Transitioning the conversation a little bit. Yeah, so that was John Legend that we just came in with. Did you know that he is actually a board member of the Legal Defense Fund of the NAACP? No, I didn't realize that. Okay. So this this, this, uh, scholarship, right? Okay. Someone donated $40 million Mm. in order to form this fund so that they can sponsor students into law school. Mm. One one person, one donor. One anonymous donor. And there's so many different layers to this conversation. So first, if you're listening and you either are or know someone who is going into law school, they have to have received their undergrad degree by September of 2020. And, I'm sorry, uh, December of 2021. Mm -hmm. And they also have to be accepted into their law program already. Mm. So bachelor's degree by this, by September of right. 2020, so they had to have had it already, mm-hmm. and then into law school this coming fall. Okay. So they are offering full scholarships into law school with one caveat. They have to be committed to defense of civil rights issues, social injustice issues, and eight years of service in the South. Mm. Where it's needed. Where it's Of course, absolutely where it's needed. needed with voter suppression and everything else going so on. So that's why I say it's two different conversations. One, we're helping create, correct an issue that we were talking about already, mm-hmm. how there, we don't have enough representation. And then the system that's in place is set in place against us. Right. And then two, how can we just build each other up so that we can be the anonymous donor of $40 million to some organization that we believe in? How can we just build each other up? What do you mean? Each, well, you know what? How many people do you know that can anonymously donate right. $40 million? Yeah. I mean, that's what I was wondering, too. Like, $40 million. So it's, it's got to be a drop in the bucket for whoever did that. You know, $40 million to or me. Or maybe it's their last dime and it's their last Well, it could you know, be somebody who wish, passed. Right? Because that happens. Somebody leave an endowment. And yeah, that that could be possible, uh, you know. So you have the Kamala Harris's of the world, you have the Sierra Norris's of the world. Yeah, we're just now making way for another generation of people who can actually make an impact where it matters. Yeah, I think it's super well, dope. well, well. I thank Oprah if it was her. I don't think it was Oprah. You know, I, hey, I thank Oprah. I thank uh, uh, Warren Buffett if it was him. <laughs> you know, because it, it doesn't necessarily have Bezos. to be. It was hey, Miss Bezos. Why do you real. say it was her? <laughs> What did you say, Sierra? I said it was probably Beyonce. Let's be real. Beyonce? Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, I can. All right. I don't know. Whoever I, I think, it I was. Jay-Z need a lawyer. But whoever. 
whoever it was, I think it's an amazing first step. And I think that having to commit to eight years of racial justice is very smart because once you start this job, it is very hard to do anything else Mm. because you know the amount of work that needs to be done and what is really happening. And when you start putting people and having people commit, I mean, so many people have no idea how they're going to pay student loans. So it's kind of a, a really good, like, uh, trick in a way to say, hey, you have to dedicate yourself to eight years of this. Right. Do you know how many people that those people who get this scholarship are going to touch yeah. within but eight years it's, of it's racial 50 justice? 50 people, right? It's 50 people, 400 million. I didn't do the division no, on 40, that. 40, 40, 40 million. million. 40 million. I didn't do the 50 yes, scholarships. But they're full so, scholarships. So, so law school, I know law school, without a doubt, is expensive. Yep. I didn't get one private loan, and I just don't even want to talk about what I have to pay the government, which wow. I think is crazy. So, um, yeah. It's, so, it's expensive. So come through Joe Biden with that uh, student <coughs> So check this out. Listen, I'm not trying to spend my entire life paying back y'all Monopoly money. So if you go ahead and just wash this away, I think we can just call a spade to spade because let's really talk about it. When we're talking about education, especially when we start getting to higher education, it is turned into an industry. Students are being used as funnels to pump federal government federal money through to private institutions and now now institutions such as law schools such as universities are becoming too big to fail and that is actually causing the education and the people that are being put into this workforce to not be properly supported and set up to thrive and so now we're just pumping out college graduates as if it's just a new product and they're not getting supported on how to survive. You right, cannot right. survive off of forty, fifty thousand dollars a year when your student loans look like what our student loans look like. Right. And so I think that, you know, I think our the issues with our education are go I mean, they just go in so many different directions and I think that in this country, a lot of our social issues turn into capitalistic issues, and I just don't feel like we're being set up to really be the best we can be. I mean, even in Chicago, how many law schools are there in Chicago? I teach yes. students at um, DePaul. I'm the moot court DePaul. coach. Blue Will's favorite Go, place. Yes. Go, so woman. I'm a teacher, and I I also offer a lot of um, paid opportunities to students and my biggest thing is I want to teach the people that I touch how right. to do not right. how to think for other people so that they right. can do and make the money off of us and I just feel like more more energy needs to be put forward how to make people an asset when they leave school instead of just giving them a degree and saying congratulations so, okay. so what Say, let's take a just want to ask real quick, what's the, what impact do you think this, a program like this is going to have? I think that it's going to, I think that it's going to have a ripple effect. And I think that it's going to, eight years is is not just a, a thing you do. It's a make that commitment, you're in it for the long haul. A lot of young people don't know how to see past eight years. Right. So they're right. like, all right, if I'm here, I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to make this worthwhile. That energy, that mindset, that inspiration is going to touch thousands and tens of thousands of people. And maybe out of those 50 people, we have the next black president. 
I think that okay. the Legal Defense Fund did this right because they're looking for people who are already in that area, already yeah. have a heart and a passion and love for the people for uh, this justice. This is a short and long-term game. Absolutely. I think it, it, game, so, so it's smart. We're getting ready to go into the next break, uh, the next hour, actually, the lit roundtable hour. But one of the questions they want people are asking right now on Facebook is they want to know how they can get in contact with you. But wait. When we come back off the break and we go into the lit roundtable hour, you can answer that, okay? All right, this is the Kendall Moore Show, everybody. Don't you dare touch that dial. It's Kendall Moore, radio for the next generation. On the Talk of Chicago, 1690 WVON. Back to the Kendall Moore Show on WVON 1690 AM. Talk to Chicago, the voice of the nation. We are in the lit roundtable hour, the 8 o'clock hour. Uh, you might have heard uh, our special guest host, Attorney Sierra Nor- Norris. She was finishing up a conversation that we were having. Because we have a lot of conversations, <laughs> believe it or not, off off the mic, ladies and gentlemen, when we're on uh, when we're on commercial. You know, so the conversation never ends. You know, so you were saying earlier before we went to the roundtable hour, it was a uh, thought you were talking about as far as the, so, the the justice system and how it's needed and what and what's needed to be done and everything. Oh, the impacts of what this is going to have. Right. I think if you take 50 people and you take money off the table and you they no longer have to worry about how they're going to fund school. And then not only do they not have to worry about how they're going to fund school, they don't have to worry about what they're going to do after school to make a living. So now they're committed to racial justice work, civil rights work, criminal justice work. There is a commitment that comes within eight years. So they're not going to say, oh, I'm just doing this to forgive my loans. They're going to say, okay, well, I'm in it for eight years. I might as well make it worthwhile. Those 50 people are going to touch at least 50 people within themselves. Those 50 people are going to touch 50 people. And maybe out of this program, we finally do get the black president that everybody wants or the black vice president or more representation. But a lot of people... 
you know, I, I went to school with a lot of African-American people who said, well, I can't do civil rights and I can't do social justice because I can't afford to take care of myself in those jobs. And if I can't afford to take care of myself, then I can't afford to, you know, go back and help my community. So I got to make sure I'm cool first. Right, right. BS. So with that being said, I want to take you get this caught caller up in your alive. Life. She's been waiting for a while. Uh, uh, Susan, Susan, how are you? I'm fine, thanks, guys. How are you all? Great, thank you. Thanks for calling. Thank you for calling. Oh, thank thank you. you for waiting. Yeah, um, I wanted to start with saying um, Walter White. Is anybody familiar with Walter White? Uh, no, I'm not. NAACP. Um, I only know a little bit about his story. I know he was very light-skinned to the point that he looked white, and what he did was he infiltrated various groups and organizations and was able to make progress for black folks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And he was a part of the NAACP. So I said it's awfully interesting that his name was white and he looked white, but he was black. Okay. Um, yeah, not every light-skinned person. I'm brown-skinned. Most of my family is light-skinned. Um, not every light-skinned person is, like, you know, doesn't know who they are. Just because they're light, you know, right. the lesser melanin doesn't mean they're the, the lesser, right. you know, African-American. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like you guys were comparing among the three mm-hmm. that um, – you know, everyone was accused of not being black enough because of X or Y or Z. And I'm listening to it because I had it. I, I used to get it all the time because I sound so white bread. I don't know if I do now. You know what? Day, it's really... not that you sound white bread, but if you mm-hmm. speak English correctly, if you pronounce oh, yeah. it, then you're, yeah. well, you're, well, you're, oh, you're white. I have a pitched whiny-ish kind of voice sometimes, too. So. Oh, don't do that. But, don't do that. <laughs> Uh, I love my voice. I'm cool. But, you know, understanding other people's perceptions is really where I'm coming from. And as I heard the three of you guys, and this isn't my original comment, it hit me. I said, wow, so you're 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 really brown, and, you know, you're not black enough. And, of course, Sierra, you know, of course you ain't black enough. Right. And I don't know, is that Netta, um, mm-hmm. the third person? Yes. Okay, what was your reason why you weren't black enough? The same reasons that everybody else encounters. Yeah. Nothing okay, relevant. Some <laughs> color. Yeah, mine yeah. wasn't color. Mine was uh, audio, verbal, mm-hmm. you know. Um, it yeah. occurred to me as I'm hearing all of this and I'm thinking about myself, I said, oh, my God, you know when you're not black enough? Yeah. You're not black enough when you're doing something. There's something about you that is threatening to that other person in one way or another way. Mm-hmm. And I could never figure it out before because I said, okay, so being black is being a thug. Being black means you can't talk. Right. Language. Being black means you're stupid. Being black means you don't want to learn. We've embraced you know, the no, stereotypes. Black, I mean, um, yeah. What it's black like, is. Okay, I agree. Being white is. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Hey, uh, right. Susan, thank you. Thank, well, wait, thank you for that, that comment. Wait, hold on a second. Yeah. Hold on a second. Yeah, I'm sorry. My mic was going out and I couldn't finish. I couldn't hear your comment. My mic was going oh, I was Go ahead, please. The distinction was it's something threatening about either what you're doing or something you possess that makes someone say that you're not black enough. Right. And, and I'm like, no, all these negative things are not the definition of black, you mm-hmm. know. Um, my original comment was about um, Kamala Harris and her air quote blackness. I read an article, I think it was the New York Times, Forbes, one of them. Um, and it talked about her background. Her dad's light-skinned, so he's not, like, super chocolate or anything. Um, but apparently they were upper class, upper middle class or something. 
um, on the island. So, you know, it, it was implying that he was kind of a snob. They met, meaning her parents met at a black power group right. at uh, UCLA or something like that. So basically this group attracted others. The majority of the group were black people. So her mother was attracted to the black folks and that cause, and she was actually very attracted to the dad. So it wasn't the dad pursuing another culture. It was the mother pursuing the black culture. The mother was interested in the black culture, even though, yes, she did reinforce her own culture with her children Mm -hmm. and took them to India every year, according to the article. I think it's... I think it's still politics to that too, though it's colorism to that too, because I have sure. friends who are who are uh, Indian. They're from India, and actually, the Northern Indians Indians are are considered a different caste, and they're actually lighter, whiter. Mm-hmm, you know, and and, and 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 I forget the tribe that she's from. I think the Darwithian. I think that's how you pronounce it. But the, her caste, her mother's caste, is and is is considered lower, and that's where all the dark skinned Indians are. They're like at the southern part of it. And I learned this from just my friends who are mm-hmm. of Indian descent. So you know they have they have their systems of uh, of, of prejudice too. Their caste systems. Absolutely. You know. But what I'm saying is her her primary upbringing. All the black people were the mom's friends, and because the dad was always busy with his work, according to this article. Um, she was always needing help. She was living as a single mom. That's why they ended up getting divorced. Cause it was like, why am I married when, you know, I'm living like a single mom, figuring everything out all by myself while you're off being an intellectual. So she grew up with this black group, right. you know, that they where they met at UCLA or UC whatever location. And so it's like, right. we're saying these things based on, her background and, oh, she married a white man and, oh, she's light-skinned and, oh, her mother's Indian and she talks about her mother. But it's like, you know, most people who go to Howard have a level of blackness, and if they don't have it when they walk in, they absolutely have it when they walk out. Yeah. Um, same thing with yeah, being an I, I agree. That's a black thing. Okay. Both of those. Well, th- Susan, thank you for your comment. I appreciate it. But uh, she brings up some, yeah, some good points that does. leads us into our next conversation about HBCUs and blackness and are you more black if you go to an HBCU or is it like a rite of passage? Yeah. Our our HBCUs are going to be more popular now. (laughs) You know, that's a question as well. That's a good question because it it almost seems like people view it as subpar. Yeah. Well, when I was at DePaul, there was a gentleman, an older gentleman who went to Bethune-Cookman and he had to actually, and I'll say, I know it's a school, it's my school, but he had to sue them to get in. They they, they said something. He was really mad he would talk to me all the time. He had he to sue that, them to get into the He sued school? them to get into the master's program, uh, and uh, a master's program. And he was really mad he would tell me this all the time because they thought that, but coming from a Thune Cookman, that their credits were subpar. I know it's my school. I talk about it, you know, but they have their flaws. And, I, and you know, I'll make it transparent. But, yeah, so, but he sued them. And the judge, he said the judge found no reason for them not to discriminate against him based on where he went to school and his credits since he had he completed the work and he had his, his bachelor's degree. So he was in the program. But I remember he was just so mad. You know, older gentleman, too. He was just so mad how he had to go through all of that, unfortunately. But they got it together. They got it together. I think the point that Susan was trying to get at is that it's not just about nature, but it's about nurture. And I think that she was saying that even though 
Kamala. I have insecurity about saying her name. Kamala. Thank you. Even though her dad was black, it wasn't that wasn't where she got her black influence. She got it because her mom was proactive in making sure that that black influence was around. So I think that basically what Susan was getting to is we have to get more in depth with our people before we start labeling them as non-black because it's not just about nature or your you know your dose of melanin or how black you are it's also about what you choose to interact in and how you choose to raise your family my grandmother was a black panther that was a big part of my upbringing my mom was black and even though we lived in a predominantly white neighborhood she made sure that our culture inside of the house was black culture so there's a nurture and a nature and we cannot just assume because the our vice president is married to a white man or because her mom was indian that her that her that that she lacked a black influence because I think what she was getting at is that it's a combination of of both nature and nurture and what we decide and how we educate our people. Okay. So for all of you people out there, all you individuals out there that went to the HBCUs, I didn't go to HBCU. My twin sister yeah. went to Grambling. Went to Shout out yeah. to Stephanie. I got a couple of friends. Well, I actually and have a cousin. And she's just as light as I am. And she ain't black. I mean, just because she went to Grambling. I have mm-hmm. a cousin who went to FAMU and another friend that went to FAMU. And, yeah, I got a lot of friends who went to uh, Tuskegee and things as such. And, you know, they're doing, they're doing pretty good. You know, and what I know they what's have. What's tone in your voice? Are you He's sure saying that, that their degrees aren't as well respected, people... and sometimes degrees from HBCUs are not as respected right. as degrees from PWI. We understand that, but what I'm asking, Will, is what was what was your tone right now when you said that? Because you <laughs> trying to you start something. Like you no, I'm not trying to start you, nothing. You're like, oh, they're doing pretty good. Uh, you and know I'm, what? I'm piggybacking off of a conversation I am not, that we had I'm yesterday. Going to, I'm going to mention that because here's the thing. You know, I, I used to hang around some uh, some PWI snobs, you know, and right. they would make fun of people who went to uh, HBCUs. I mean, these guys went to Notre Dame and all that, and I never made fun of it. I said, hey, education is an education is what you make of it. But, you know, uh, they would do that. Some people do that. They, us, unfortunately, you know, we look down at uh, HBCUs. I don't think. Did anything to look down on? You know, uh, I'm, I live in Chicago. I've lived in Chicago all my life. I possibly could have went down to HBCU. Uh, I didn't, so I stayed here in Chicago. I went to school at DePaul. But you know, I, I think it's great. I think it's a great experience. I think we can't be. Yeah. I think we can't be ignorant though to that right. stigma because we we can't say, oh well, you know that that is something that happens. Right. I mean. You know, I there was me and my sister had a huge tug of war as as a twin. I wanted her to come up here with me. I couldn't be as successful as I am in Chicago if I had a degree from a law degree from a southern school. Because, well, one, I didn't make the connections here. And two, there are stigmas against HBCUs. And it's not saying that we should just argue them down. But what we should do is do what people have been doing that there's a what a black college student who decided that he, he what was i can't remember his name but he was like 
one of the top athletes in the nation. He said, I'm going to an HBCU. Not because that was the best decision for him as a person, but because that was the example he wanted to set to the people that were looking up to him. I think sometimes we are so looking for a black or white answer and a quick fix that we just have to understand that, no, we have to build our schools up and we have to respect ourselves first. Because if we don't respect our HBCUs and if we don't respect the influence that we have that's a huge decision for that young black boy to say, you know what? I could go anywhere, but I'm going to go to this school because I want to bring that kind of recognition to this school. We have to support those kinds of decisions and make it more of the norm and say, you know what? Maybe he would have gotten a better education somewhere else. And maybe he would. Maybe the basketball, maybe the, the program was better at a Duke or a North Carolina but if he doesn't make that decision then right. and open the door, then others' decisions won't follow. We have to start somewhere, and we can't just say, oh, HBCUs are just as good as any. They are, and they should be, right. but that doesn't mean that they're funded as well. There's just certain HBCUs like Howard, however, and, and Spillman and Morehouse that are revered, though. You see them all the time. Yeah, because that's about the you know, alumni that you know comes back. and They don't talk about, and, and even Tuskegee, exactly. you know. But they don't talk about Wilberforce like that or um, any of the other schools. It was at Morgan, Morgan State. You know, you talk about it, but they don't talk about it like those top, those schools. They consider those like our Harvards. And you know, do you Princetons. understand the tragedy in what we're talking about right yes. now? The yes. exact same conversation about whether or not HBCUs are of equal or better quality than the PWIs, it goes back to funding. And it's the exact same thing in our neighborhoods, the funding. The black schools are subpar because they don't have funding. Mm -hmm. HBCUs are subpar because they don't have the funding. When and how do we take funding out of the equation so that the black students can get the same education? And it's really unfortunate. And it's really unfortunate that you go to any higher education institution and your education is questioned as much as that stuff costs. Yeah. I agree. You should not have that conversation at all at any institution of higher education. Well, any accredited institution. But here's say. the thing: we have to. <laughs> and this is so cliche for me to say we have to stick together. It's so cliche. This has been said a billion That's trillion a times. Phrase. But we mm-hmm. we won't get it until we lose we everything, do. and we're losing. Yeah. We're losing our. We're losing our HBCUs. Some of them closed down. Quite a few of them closed down in the mm-hmm. last few years. You know, and. uh it's unfortunate that we don't see the importance of it or, or that we don't see the importance of education. We, you need it. You need an education. You know, everybody's not built for college, but you do need an education. You need a basic education, at least. And even if you are not necessarily going straight to college, you get out here in the workforce for a few years, because I think a lot of people need to do that before they go to college. Go out here in the workforce, see how hard it is, but find what your passion could possibly be at that moment. Like, man, I'm talking to this guy. He's a lawyer. I'm talking to Zaire. She's a lawyer. This guy's an accountant. That's something I might want to do. So now I'm 23, 24, 25. I think I'll go back to college. Now I'll go to college now, and, and I'm ready. I'm mature. And I think that's the problem that our communities have because we've been so left behind. When it comes to education, we didn't get that that uh, curriculum maturity, you know, that the study habits, you know, we have to be in the right environment and all of that. But I want to take a call. We have uh, And What Now on the phone. He's we He's been him up. Yes. He's been gone a while. But ladies and gentlemen, WVON family, he's back. Mr. And What Now. How are you, sir? 
What's going on, young people? Are Hello. You? Hello. Good. All right, young lady, young ladies. Uh, first of all, we put too much behind letters, names, positions, and all this other stuff. It, y'all, not you personally, too, as individuals, y'all think too much on white folks. I mean, in their institutions. They're only what they are because you, you think is that is important. That's because you put the energy. Black people put the energy in what they want and go through the uh, the process of building that your institutions would be just as good as theirs. But you don't value your own institutions because you think that the white man's institution is better and you don't want to put the energy and money in the sacrifice. I tell people now, the sacrifice that our people before us did was their life. They gave their life to get to this point. All we got to do is get some time and money, and we don't want to give up no money and time. Mm-hmm. We want to try to get ours and run around, talk about HBCs and all these different languages to just to say something, but all of it is a game. You are, I don't think y'all really realize this is all a game. Mm-hmm. This is just something people just telling you. It's a facade. Like when you buy a Gucci or all these name brands thing that you say is important. That's, that stuff ain't important. At all. That's just somebody's name. Somebody told you that that name was something, and you believe that. Mm. That's because you're still trick. So you think you need $100 million to live. You don't. You can still live a great life and don't have to have $100 million. It's because you're being tricked with all these names and letters. You think because you speak the white man's English well, somehow as a black person, they say you're intelligent. But when you just say he a foreigner speak, uh, he don't speak well. You just say, oh, he a foreigner, and he speak, he's trying to speak the English, but you don't look down on him. But you'll look down on somebody else that's black and don't speak the English language yeah. because you don't have no you don't have no um, faith in your own self. Right. You all put too much in so little, and I don't. It, it just I just find it amazing that you do. Just like you have people sitting here arguing, talking about Kamala Harris. And she got to say, I'm black, Asian, and safe. Mm-hmm. Five different nationalities. It's, it's, right. it's, it's so it's, silly. It I, I, I right. believe that. I'm I just agree. being honest. Please hear me on this one. I used to think it's, that Yale or Harvard as a law school was more important than a DePaul until I choked on the LSAT and was forced to go to a place like DePaul because I couldn't get into Yale and Harvard. Okay. And in hindsight, I wouldn't have survived or been the person that I was going to a school like that because it was the people at DePaul and the experiences that I got and the practicality that allowed me to be the attorney that I am today. It wasn't about going to Yale or Harvard. It was about making the most of the opportunity and leveraging the people and the resources that I had at DePaul. And I, if I could do it all over again, I would go back to DePaul. Even if I got a full time, full ride at Yale, I wouldn't go up to Yale. I can't go and survive in Rhode Island and be have the impact up right. there that right. I'm doing that I can in Chicago. I can hustle in Chicago. I can make a can name I, for myself. Can I last point on this, if you don't mind. Go ahead. Um, you're 100 percent correct. They are playing the game with you. And you, not you, but those who fall for the trick. These people, you think too much of their institutions and who they are. They are not I what agree. they say they are. Most of them are ignorant. Most of them are just there because of economic position, not because they 
so-called smart who mm-hmm. says this. Right, mm-hmm. right. I agree. So you all keep buying into this fantasy, not you personally, I'm talking about in general, this fantasy world. That's why most of the people sitting around here criticizing this black woman, if that all of us are sitting around here, and I don't know if all life comes from black people, because that's a fact. All life comes from the black woman and the sure black man. Is. I'm trying to figure out why would you say I've got Indian in me? No, Indian got you and them. I heard that. I think. All right. All right, we've missed you. Understand what we're talking about when it comes to that. I end on this. Please stop putting your energy. If you put your energy in building your community codes of conduct and family values and sacrifice your time, resources, and money to build your family as the Spanish man and woman do, mm-hmm. as the white man and woman do, we'll be more successful. But we're too afraid because we want to be a part of something when you already are the something. Now, I you bet me. God bless. All right. Thank you very much, Art. I appreciate that. You know, he said something that I thought about to uh, touched on. You know, the HBCUs, like I said, they have been struggling. But, you know, a time, they it was a moment when they weren't struggling. Everybody sent their kids to HBCUs if you were black. And you know why? It's because their economy was well. It's because we had our own economy and we supported our own our own uh, schools, our own institutions. You know what I mean? We had our own businesses. And, and that's really what it comes down to. So many of these HBCUs, yeah, they are struggling. But we have to work on building our, like Art says, we got to work on building our own institutions, our own eco- economic commerce back actually, and that's going to make all the difference. So, yeah, yeah. All right. So, we're going to take a break, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, This is a Kendall Moore show. We'll see you in a few minutes. Kendall Moore on the Talk of Chicago, 1690 WVON. Kendall Moore on the Talk of Chicago, 1690 WVON. Welcome back to the Kendall Moore Show on WBON 1698. Uh, so, we just finished talking about uh, navigating biz- blackness and the HBCU experience. Um, you know, is that the epitome of blackness, Netta? I think a lot of people who go to HBCU think it is. <laughs> oh, okay, you're about to start a fight, so let's leave that alone. Transici- transitioning. The conversation, ladies and gentlemen, uh, I don't know if any of you have read the paper or been watching the news this week. It seems that uh, Mayor, Madam Mayor Lori Lightfoot is planning a concept to bring more black people or to bring back black people who left Chicago uh, in the last 10 years. A black reunion, I guess you could say it is. And uh, she didn't necessarily lay it out on how how you would come back. You know, if you left Chicago, I don't know. A lot of people I know went to either Atlanta or Dallas. Wait, but where 
we all mean it? Like, is there going to be a spades table? Who's making the potato salad? <laughs> like, what? Like, I, no, in a reunion. Like, what are we doing is the pandemic. She, so she said towards the end of summer into fall, once things loosen up. Because I'm down for a reunion of sorts, but I you, guess. But, but are you invited, though? Because you still yeah. live in Chicago. Yeah. And that's where this the question comes in. This the people that left. Okay. <laughs> She's telling Sierra the truth. We all to need to be out. invited she to any place I want to go. Well, you know what? Black people invite them. Say, we invite ourselves. Yeah, to absolutely. the party anyway. They so invite me into that. this into this room or this table. I'm sitting at neither. I still snuck uh, into but, the side doors. Uh, I feel you. I feel I you. I don't need an invitation. I'll be there. I feel you. Well, we but, invited you on this table. Right, right, right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> criminal defense, being a lawyer, all that stuff. Nobody yeah. ushered me in. Like, that was something I had to fight to be in. And, and a lot of people have that experience as a black person. We're not always given the opportunity. Sometimes we have to take it. So, basically, I'm saying, y'all need to invite me. I'm going to be there running the spades table. That's it. So, there's a lot of things going on, though. There's a lot of things going on in Chicago, you know, uh, with the carjackings, with the just crime in general, and of course joblessness. What would if you moved out of Chicago? Whether you moved to the suburbs, you went out of the state. You said, "I'm tired. I'm tired of Chicago. I'm tired of Illinois." Because I know a lot of people did that did that. You know, you went to Atlanta. You went to I, I know people who even went to California. What would incentivize you to come back? Would you come back? And my question is, why would you come back? Why wouldn't you? Everybody north of Jackson Street has this wonderful life that nobody talks about. But then even we as a people perpetrate this Chirac type of situation where Chicago is one of the most segregated cities in the entire nation. But it's a wonderful city to be in, but but not if you're black sometimes. But here's the thing. Why wouldn't if you want to go back? I came here and I'm not from here. I love you here. Why would you come back? Why wouldn't what, you? And I'm trying to figure out, I guess the question we want to ask is, what is she going to do for you to come back? I mean, because she's talking about a family reunion toward the end of the summer. How is, what is, what is going to happen, especially when it's COVID? It's, well, hopefully things will loosen up. Hopefully things will later. loosen up. Well, we've already been in this for a year, right? Right. So by the next nine months, let's just pray that we've made some progress. Joe Biden says that we're going to be in his speech he made yesterday. He says we're going to be in this a minute. And he was talking to black people and Latino people specifically. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm when you talk about a, a reunion and coming back, you know. Yeah, she has to tell us what that actually I means. Think, I think one of the better ways for her to get people to come back, especially black people, is probably like to offer some kind of fellowship program in which they're paid to come back and then contribute to the community so that they're incentivized financially and it's not much of a burden to move, but also they feel as if they have a reason to be here and a reason to stay and to raise a family. And they fall in love with the city and they want to give back to the city and then they'll, you know, in that kind of way. Now also fall in love with the move. That sounds... That also comes with, like, upward mobility and helping people in that kind of way. But then also in the same vein, giving back to the black people that live here as well so that they can have that prosperity as well. And then we create that community as people are coming in so they can learn from the people that already live here so you're so, talking about I'm sorry I was go about ahead. to say I almost fell out this chair talking about incentivize them to come back why, why don't we pour those same resources into the people who are already here yeah that's why I said we should as opposed both. as opposed to asking them to come I back I think two things can exist at the same time they can so exist think. at the same time but what efforts are being made to pour those resources into people who are already here I agree well she is investing in the south and the west side uh, 750 million 
dollars for the for the next three years. But still, I, I have to wonder how exactly are you going to get somebody back if they left and they're doing pretty good in Texas? Because I, I talked to like two of my friends over the weekend. They're in Texas. They doing all right, you know. Why would they come think, back? What are you going to do? Do you say you get them involved in the community? If it's How? the target audience, if the target audience is you know older folks, like middle aged folks, or people who are more established in their lives, I guess like forty years old and over, maybe it's harder because they probably settled in some kind of way. Right. I guess what my my proposal would be more as though for a younger generation, right? Like for people who are entering college or like or getting out of college, where like right now I'm about to graduate college. If I see a city somewhere that's like oh. Oh, we're going to give you a job, pay for you to stay here. Yeah, um, please come here and um, help um, come help our community. That's what they're doing in Hawaii right now because their tor- tourism industry has taken a hit because of COVID. That's what they're doing right now, doing the exact same thing I basically just said. And I'm saying just doing that in Chicago, and I would say probably tailoring it for younger people. So now I'm I'm staying here, and I'm going to raise my family here, and that's going to create generational kind of wealth. Just like when a person goes off stuff. to college mm-hmm. and they generally yeah, stay like, I guess that would probably be how you tailor it. Yeah. I guess it is probably hard to get people who are settled. Like, as you're saying, like in Texas or California, have a business, have more prestigious careers, whatever that looks like, it can, or have a family. It could be harder to come back to a city that they probably left for whatever reason. Um, but I think definitely targeting younger folks or people who are out of college or people who are younger or people who just aren't as, you know, settled to come to a city and set roots there, I think that's where your appeal can come from. I think that's a really good point. So I wonder why they didn't structure it that way. Because that seems just like the intelligent thing to do. Why would yeah. you try to appeal to someone who decided to leave? You decided to uproot your entire life. I think it's a lot more convincing else. that you need to because do. Because success sometimes it, in a black community, especially here in Chicago, is is getting out of the hood means getting out of Chicago sometimes. Right. And that's not necessarily what should happen. But I also, from somebody who came here and didn't grow up here, um, the black community can be a little... Uh, y'all Intense. got long memories, okay? That's if y'all true. knew... What I like about me in law school, I don't think that my I I think that what everybody would have to say about me as a 20 year old, 22 year old, 24 year old would have trumped what I'm doing as a 28 year old and 29 year old. And I think sometimes, especially here in Chicago, like I was like, oh, okay, if I can make it Chicago, like I'm going to start Chicago first and then I'll try somewhere bigger. In all actuality, I realized that I chose the hardest place to succeed because we there you know there there's a pulling down of a sort there is a oh well you used to be this or you used to be that so you're not good enough to be this so i'm not exactly you know i i think that like you said two things can exist at once i think that we want to incentivize people to come back after college and say that success isn't synonymous with leaving but I think we also need to support the people that are here because it's hard for natives of Chicago to get out of this group think mindset or you used to be that way so we're not gonna we we remember how you used to be so you're not good enough okay so I understand at first I didn't understand what you were saying when you said we don't forget but I think it's like that every place I don't think it's just like that in Chicago but you're right about that I think it's I think it's a little bit more vicious in Chicago yeah so, okay. Will, you are a what? A Chicagoan to your I core. Am a you are a West Sider to your core. I'm a West Sider. So one of her talking points is that the city has changed a lot over the last ten years. Yes. So come a lot back. Of black people left. Because so come back and see what we are now because we've changed so much. Would you agree with that? 
Yeah, we changed under COVID. We have changed no, a lot. No, COVID. COVID, COVID hasn't been 10 COVID. years. The last 10 years. Before has, COVID. Has the city changed for the better that someone who left would want to come back? The people who left, left that I know, left for economic reasons, okay? Uh, and social reasons, of course, too. And some people, honestly, they need to stay gone. <laughs> some people with their bad kids who's out here doing other things. Maybe they're not bad now. Here's, no, no. Look, 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 look. Here's the thing that I realized. I knew a lot of guys and gals, girls, ladies, mm-hmm. who left because uh, they were tied up in negative stuff. And they left, you know what I mean, to, to, to leave this life alone. So if you're trying to tell them to come back, no, you stay away. You know, just real talk. But I do understand what you're saying. Um, I mean, I just don't understand how she's going to get people to want to come back. I don't. While we were building the city up under the last mayor, that's when a lot of people were leaving. So I don't really see a difference right now This that, that would say, hey, black people, is safe. Come back. I don't see a difference right now. Does it have with, to be with the safe? carjackings? What? I mean, How that ensures confidence in people. Why, wait, 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 wait. Who's gonna make it safe if if, if not for us? What he's what, I what, agree what with you on that. What, but I, what is being what's being said is that there needs to be a incentive to come and put in the work. Right. We, who's gonna make it safe to say, hey, oh, it's safe now? Mm-hmm. I but agree. Who's with gonna you. make it safe? The, Except if if not for us. The thing is, the argument was very ambiguous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what we're going to do is we're going to take a break. I'll finish this thought process when we come back. Uh, this is the Kendall Moore Show, everybody. He's the new kid on the block. He's got the weekends on lock. Kendall Moore, radio for the next generation. On the talk of Chicago, 1690 WVON. I see you, you with him. He ain't right, but you don't trip. You stand by while he lies, then turn right around and forgive. I can't take to see your face with those tears run down your cheeks. But what can I do? I gotta stay true, cause deep down I'm still a G. And I don't wanna come between you and your man. Even though I know I treat you better than he can. Girl, I can't help but wait till you get that with him. It don't change. Can't help but wait till you see that with me it ain't the same. Can't help but wait till you see you for what you really are. Baby girl, you are a star. And I can't help but wait. Just like an onion, I need some loving. And baby, I can't hold it much longer. The audio genius. It's the getting audio stronger genius. and stronger. Welcome back to the Kendall Moore Show on WVON 1690 AM. So we were talking about the black reunion that Lori Lightfoot, Mayor Lori Lightfoot, City of Chicago, was trying to uh, hold. It was an article out er, uh, earlier this week about uh, trying to get more, trying to get the black people that left or black people to come to Chicago. And the thing is, what I was saying before we went on break is from reading the article, it was just ambiguous about really how she was going to do that. I mean, maybe they are working on some special type of program or project to roll out, but like I said earlier, off off uh, offline, um, they, what would it be a fellowship or something? How much would they pay them? You know, oh, that was my proposal. Yeah, but <laughs> right. would it be a dorm? 
Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I mean, you how, think that that's the answer to pay people to come back? When you're when you're trying to infuse how, the economy already, why would I come back? Here's the thing, back. though. Why I, would I, mean, I come I mean, back if to you nothing? Just look at it how people how they think about it. You know, got to invest in something. To why get would I come back to nothing? Why if I'm already working? You know, and I, I understand it's not just for people who have left, but trying to attract black people in particular. Why would I necessarily come here right now? We're having a lot of problems going on. Or housing. Not just COVID, but with the police. You know what I'm saying? So then I guess your answer is no to my question. You don't think the city's gotten better in the last 10 years? No, I don't think it has. I mean, it's just something that I, I don't think about. Per, per se, but no, I don't think it has. At least I mean, not, I not for that. black and people. I say per say, that well, I would want to come back because you look at somewhere like uh, Atlanta, and they incentivize filmmakers and TV producers and such to you know build studios there and to film projects there, and that you know they're black people, namely Tyler Perry. Um, and now people are coming there because they're in the industry, entertainment industry, and they want to work there, and now they're influxing their economy because they're coming here to film, shoot, and do all kinds of stuff. Right. Maybe Chicago takes a similar approach, whatever industry that looks like, so that it can track people who are young, who are established, who are professionals. You've got a mix of all of that where they come to a place where they feel as if, as black people, they have a, a leg up. Because if you go to L.A. to, to um, kind of participate in that kind of bureaucracy, it's hard because mm-hmm. everyone's gunning for it. But if you come to a place where, like, oh, it's a it's a place where we're black and we're supported and we can take care of each other, then I feel good about coming back. But see, back that makes way there. more sense. Incentivize the people who are going to create more jobs, more opportunities in the community, yeah. not the people who left and begging them to come back. So put, give it to the film studios. Give it to the business owners. Give it to the construction companies. Give it to... I think construction would be really big in Chicago. Yeah. Especially it, it, right it now. Is, yeah. But give it to the people who can perpetuate and move it forward and now offer jobs to people in the community. You're worried about infusing the community. Help the people in the community get some money as opposed to begging people to come back who already well, made a decision to leave. That might be the plan, though. I Maybe think that's she a bonus. is going to go to the I think people who left coming back is a bonus. That's like, oh, it's really, like, it's nice. Like, we're here. Like, they're coming back. I don't think that's what you focus on because it's going to be... So that would difficult. be kind of like a localized affirmative action or something like that, then? Has it, affirmative action, really? Uh, <laughs> I mean, think about it. She's trying to get black people to come back. And if we're talking about incentivizing them to come back... Specifically, black people, right? Yeah. Okay. Specifically, black people. I mean, black and brown. I'm trying to get black people back to the city. You know, I, I forgot the number of how many of us already left in the last ten years. So, you know, but that's just odd. How? Why would you come back? You know. I don't know. Why wouldn't you leave? <laughs> like, hey, it's some people need city. to leave. It's, some people, some, some city. people here need to leave now. You know, with the carjackings and all that other stuff going on. So, you know, what's your thoughts, Miss Norris? Because we didn't ask you. You're not from Chicago, but, you know, you're all right. Um, you're all right with us. I appreciate that. <laughs> I think that there is a lot of people that aren't black and brown that are privileged to experience this city for the wonderfulness as that it is and and it's a very Chicago is looked at differently depending on your social economic status and your access to opportunity so if we want our people to stay or we want them to come back opportunity needs to be given in the areas in which Chicago is good at okay right. construction infrastructure, 
the restaurant business, the comedy business, the drama business, the, you know, expand the, the opportunity. What we've all talked about, it's not about money. It's not about carjacking. It's not about bad kids. It's about there needs to be opportunities for black people in Chicago. I mean, one of the things that my a very close friend was talking to me about is the closure of trauma centers in the community. Yeah. Hoods are suffocating, okay? Our communities are suffocating because there is a lack of opportunity, a lack of support, and a lack of basic human decency. The city is not getting better because funds and opportunity are being funneled towards the north side. If those same funds and opportunity were being given a place to breathe on the south side, then maybe there wouldn't be such a pessimistic attitude towards staying in such a beautiful city. But there are people that experience this city from very different lenses because of a lack of opportunity, which is systematic. And so we cannot always look within ourselves and say, well, why wouldn't black people want to come back because black people are incentivized to either stay in the hood and be the lower class or to leave because the opportunities that are there for the aspiring affluent white person is not the same for black people and so it really comes down to opportunities and what are we going what what paths are we going to pave what incentives are we going to provide and how are we going to support not only the people that are here and want to stay here, but the people that could come back and make an influence? But I just feel like it's so segregated and we're just worried and talking about the wrong things. And, it you know, those kids are bad probably because that mom is so bogged down with everything else that goes in life that she can't properly support her children mentally, physically, and spiritually, we have to stop talking about the symptoms and, 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 and hitting them around. Like they're a joke. They're symptoms that are rooted out of a disease and that disease is of lack of opportunity and systematic oppression. So it's a good idea to have a black reunion. And that's, that's cool to say, but what we're really asking is, is what are we going to incentivize people with? No, we're not paying them to come back. We're saying that there's opportunity here and you should help build that opportunity for not only you and your family, but the generation that comes afterwards. And okay. it's just not going to be fixed overnight. So, All right. Well, we're just about ready to get out of here. Uh, Netta, Beretta. Yes. What do you got planned this weekend? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> nothing on the horizon. Well, nothing you know, the restaurants are opening back up tomorrow. I'm not going. I went... Uh, about a week ago, I went to a restaurant and they had outdoor dining, but it, I was still just so uncomfortable. And I'm not even. <laughs> did I'm you have your even, mask on? I did, but it was cold. It though, was just right? too many people. I don't Bring even like blanket? a lot of people when it, when it's not COVID. So I was just very uncomfortable. I'm gonna be at home, okay. taking care of my house, taking care of my 15 year old who refuses to do her virtual learning. Okay. And we're gonna keep it moving. You're gonna be busy. What you got planned this weekend, Isaiah? Um, I'm gonna be just preparing for school. Classes start on Monday for okay. me. Um, I'm recording another episode for my podcast. And I'm also um, looking at, like, this black writers group. Mm -hmm. They have an internship where um, they're looking for black screenwriters, and I'm going to be working on a script. I mean, it's due in a month, so I'm not going to write the script out this weekend, but I'll be working on the ideas for that to get that ready and to submit that. That's cool. Uh Uh-oh. All right. And 
special guest host, Attorney Sierra Norris. How are you? Enjoy yourself. What will you be doing this weekend? I have some jail visits. I need to go see some of the boys. She's going to be working on the weekends, y'all. <laughs> working on the weekends, as usual. <laughs> okay. um, I have a really dope uh, group coming in tomorrow for my office to do a whole COVID um, cleaning so you asked me a question before we went to break, but we didn't go back to it on how mm-hmm. to get a hold of me. Yes. Instagram, attorney Sierra Norris, C-I-E-R-R-A-N-O-R-R-I-S. I do a lot of marketing through my Instagram. It's connected to my Facebook. So a lot of the things that I'm doing, you can find out on there. My office number is 312-625-6129. It is a number that you can also text for my younger individuals. If you are calling this number and you're not getting an answer fast, enough text it also my um uh, website www.cn.com um so there's just some ways that you can get a hold of me i'm going to be working on the weekends i'm I'm getting my hair done on sunday but it's it's a job in itself upkeep is a job terrible all Um, right and I'm glad everybody will be will know that you will be getting your hair done. But my it's sister, fabulous. who is who is a t- top thirty under thirty stylist number two, Sabrina the Hair Wish. Shout out All to right. my little sister, best beautician in Chicago. All right, you gotta see her. All right, Kendall Moore Show, everybody. See you next week. Just one look at you, and I know it's gonna be a lovely day. Generation Radio with Kendall Moore, WVON, AM 1690. Let's talk about it. Come on. New Generation. Kendall Moore Talk Radio, WVON, AM 1690. Streaming live from the web, WVON.com. Let's talk about it. What's new?